Welcome to season three of the Get Your Money Right podcast, the podcast where not only do we want you to get your money, we want you to get your money right. This show is designed specifically for ambitious moms, dads, husbands, and wives to help you get money out of the way so you can start living life on your own terms. And if you're finally ready to transform the way you do money, come sign up for one of our free resources at yourmoneyright.com. Again, that's yourmoneyright.com. What's the good news, people? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Get Your Money Right podcast, the podcast where we talk about money like it's everybody's business. Because I truly believe if we're not good with money, it's because we don't talk about money. And this show is designed to change just that. I am your host, the Money Misfit, Jamar Dupas, and this is episode number 46. This month, this month of February, we're going to talk about black history. But not only just like, you know, black history. We're not just going to be talking about facts. We're going to talk about black history as it relates to black people. Right? Because it's important to talk about. Now, this is a subject for some people who are not black uh, that may be a little bit bothered, right? Because for some reason, when you talk about things strictly related to black people and their advancement, it bothers some people, right? And if that bothers you, like if you're feeling some type of way right now that it's not comfortable, that uh, you're not happy or you feel like there's some type of quote unquote reverse racism going on right now in your heart, you need to question and ask yourself why you feel that way. All right. So I just want to get that out of the way and say to you, if you're feeling this way, that this isn't about you, right? This isn't about leaving you out, but including black people in, right? So we're going to talk about the history of money, and even how it's led us to have these feelings that we have today where you feel this uneasiness about the advancement of black people. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you found me, but I do appreciate you being here. We talk about money a little bit differently on this show. We talk about money as it relates to real life, right? How you can use it to to serve you and your goals, to live the life that you want to live, to raise the families that you want to raise, to go see the things that you want to go see and not do the things that big banks and broke people want you to do with your money. Right. So that's how we do that. If you want to find out more about how we do and why we do the things we do, head over to our website over at yourmoneyright.com. Consider becoming a misfit. Join us in one of our upcoming boot camps, which you got a boot camp coming up soon. So y'all stay tuned for that. We will have a, uh, an announcement uh, very soon because that will be this month. We'll have the next uh, boot camp within a couple of weeks. So uh, you guys get ready for that. It's going to be on the weekend this time. So a lot more people will be able to make it. But anyway, head over to our website at yourmoneyright.com. Again, that's yourmoneyright.com. So today we're going to talk about black people and the history of black people and money. Because I think it's one of those things that is, one, it's not taught, right? We're not ever ever taught about 
uh, the black history when it relates to finances. And a lot of times we think that finances are not even important. But today I want to kind of paint a light or paint a picture and illuminate uh, some of the falseness or some of the falsehoods around uh, that you don't need money. And a lot of the things that we learned about uh, in black history and how we forget about the role that finances play in the oppression of black people, uh, the advancement of black people uh, and all that good stuff uh, as it relates to uh, where we began and where we are today. Right. So this won't be a very extensive or very deep like history lesson, but maybe you'll learn some things you didn't know before. Uh, and maybe uh, it can spark some conversation, maybe give you some people that have some understanding who don't really understand uh, why black people are in the situation that they're in today, how we got there uh, and why it's still a bit of a struggle today to get out of the situations that we're in today. Uh, and I think economics plays a major, major, major role in the struggles and issues uh, that black people as a whole have today that we also had a hundred years ago. Right. So with that being said, let's go all back to the beginning. And we're talking about just, you know, United States of America, right. Talking about, uh, black Africans who were brought over here, slavery, all that good stuff, come out of slavery, all that stuff. Right. So everybody knows you've heard the school about slavery, right. You know, we came over Well, some of y'all, some of y'all new kids, y'all just maybe just in high school or just graduating, they told y'all it wasn't really slavery. It was um, what they call us um, involuntary uh, workers, right? Workers who came over here that didn't necessarily volunteer. They were voluntold to come over here and do some work, right? That's what they try to tell uh, these days. They try, that's what they try to put in the textbooks for these new kids these days. But everybody knows that we came over here. It was slavery. 400 years of that. Uh, it was pretty bad. Brutal. Violent, uh, the the worst of the worst that you can imagine of of the human uh, human atrocities across the globe. We talk a lot today about uh, different countries treating people the way they treat people, uh, but it's amazing how we forget that in our own country these things happened. Uh, and I'm not going to get into the gory details of it, right? You can do your own research, but there were some just human right violations. Uh, things that you would never believe if you never heard the stories of how uh, slaves were treated and and uh, and treated as cattle, not even human beings, right? Even in our own constitution, I'm a big fan of the, the constitution in a sense, uh, right? Uh, there is such great wisdom uh, in the constitution, but I would be lying if I uh, were to tell people that the constitution was meant for black people, which it wasn't. We were not considered people; we were considered property. The whole uh, idea that this country was a place um, ripe for the pursuit of, of happiness was not necessarily the case for all people. In fact, happiness didn't even come to later. It was actually the pursuit of property, uh, life, liberty and property uh, was a thing that was the slogan and the selling point for why people would come over here to the United States in the first place, right? Because people had opportunity. They would get land, uh, they would get uh, businesses, and they would get opportunities uh, to uh, start over a new life. That's why they would get on a boat and and travel for three months and be sick and all the other stuff from all over the world. They would come here and they would take that trip on 
just in hopes of a better opportunity because they were given free things, right? There was free land to be given, uh, free opportunities, free businesses. There was a lot of opportunities just available uh, in the early days of, uh, of this country, right? Now, I don't have to say this. Yes, maybe I do have to say this. That same opportunity was not afforded to black people, right? Because black people were not people. We were property. Uh, you could get slaves. You could get property to help you uh, gather, uh, gather your land, uh, produce on your land and all that good stuff. Cause you had free labor, so to speak. Right. Um, because the slave was like what robots are today. The slave would take care of itself. It could feed itself. It could grow food. It could, uh, you know, build its own house, do all those things on its own, so to speak. And it's, it's, I almost feel sick talking like it own It's like, it's a different, it's a piece of property, but that's how the slave was perceived. Here in this country. And although the slave was a human being, they had to speak like that and had to say certain things and make up certain things, even that you hear today to justify the way they treated these people. Uh, you ever hear the, the terminology of black people are generally lazy? Well, this came out about uh, because of the cognitive dissonance of when you would see uh, this is how people cope with the the idea of how would it make slaves work from sun up to sundown. Uh, so badly that you can look up some archaeologists, they would actually dig up slave cemeteries and they can see where muscle would literally tear or fall, would fall away from the bones, right? You can see this stuff with forensic technology and stuff like that of certain slaves back in the day because they would work them to, to the, to the bone, right? Uh, and how people justified within their own minds, about al allowing slaves to work so hard is they would say to themselves, well, they're just doing them a favor because the blacks are so lazy, right? So because they're so lazy, they're trying to work the laziness out of them. So that's why they would work them so hard, right? So that's kind of how they justified doing certain things. And there's a long list of that type of stuff that you still see perpetuated in stereotypes today, right? But let's get past that, right? So let's, let's get past slavery. Let's get talk about what happens, uh, once you got the Emancipation Proclamation and all that good stuff, right? So the mid 1800s, um, you got people. It's like, okay, here you got Lincoln. They come around for whatever pressures and things like that. And we're not here to debate the real reason why Lincoln freed the slaves or whatnot in a civil war and all that good stuff. But one of the reasons why uh, the uh, uh, slaves were set free is because uh, the North would recruit black people to fight in the Civil War. And in return for your service, you would also get your freedom, right? Um, not only would you get your freedom, uh, but they understood the only way for an individual, for a person to be completely free in this country, in America, was to be able to have some type of economic power, right? You had to be able to be self-sufficient economically in order to be truly free, right? And that's still today, that is still the case. I say that a lot. Y'all know I say that a lot. There is no true freedom without economic freedom, right? We can uh, be free spiritually, right? We could be free in our in the decisions that we make in life. But in this country, to live in this world, you have to be resourceful and you have to be self-sufficient. And much of that relies on your ability to be economically proficient, right? Be able to uh, gather income, service provide service to other people that in turn give you income so you can, you know, turn around and grow and have your own economy. Right. So, but anyway, so one of the reasons why, uh, 
you know, the North won is because they did recruit a lot of black people to fight in the Civil War. And in return for that, they would get their freedom. Not only would they get their freedom, because I said they also understood that the thing that you need to have outside of just your freedom is you need to have money. Right. Just plain and simple. You need to have money. So they were also promised uh, that they would get the 40 acres and a mule. And that's where that came from. So uh, they were promised that they would get 40 acres a mule uh, and a hundred bucks, right? That was kind of the deal uh, back then in the civil war after the civil war was done. Right. So you got your emancipation proclamation, civil wars all through. Uh, but what happened was, and this, you'll see a trend on this a lot when, when people stand in the way and they stand up for black people and their economic empowerment, they come up missing. Right. And we'll talk about this here in a minute. Uh, as it relates to the civil rights movement and Dr. Martin Luther King. But um, Lincoln had it all set up to where it was in writing. You had to set up as an act of Congress that uh, the black men would be free or black people would be free. They would get a uh, family would get 40 acres. They would get a mule and they get 100 bucks. But then uh, Lincoln was assassinated. Right. And then the next president that came in was Andrew Johnson. Now, this bill was passed by Congress, but Andrew Johnson came in and vetoed that whole deal. He's like, look. We'll give them their freedom, but we're not giving them 40 acres and a mule and a hundred dollars. That's not happening. Right. So he came in, vetoed that and all that good stuff. Right. So that left a lot of people in a lot of bad shape. But black people being the resourceful people they were still did OK for themselves uh, at the time. Uh, before, before that, it was illegal for you to uh, for black people to be able to even read. Right. In the mid 1800s. And I think uh, there was a literacy rate of somewhere of 99 percent or some crazy stuff like that. It could have been higher than that, but you don't really know because uh, you couldn't admit that you could read. Because if you admitted that you could read, you could be assassinated. Right. You could be lynched. You can be killed. You can you know, it was against the law. You can go to prison. Right. And the Constitution, even to this day, still states that the 13th Amendment, if you look at the 13th Amendment, uh, you can be enslaved if you break the law. Right. Uh, so what happened was during these during these uh, Jim Crow eras and in this time of freedom, they would make it illegal for you to be black. Right. So if it was illegal for you to be black, then they could enslave you again because the 13th Amendment to this day, as it still writes, it says that you can be a slave if you break the law. Right. So uh, they would do things to make uh, make it illegal to be black. So the whole loitering thing came about is when they would see black people standing around trying to find jobs. So if you were not working, if you're if you're trying to work, if they could find you standing around uh, that they would actually can take you to jail. And of course, you already know what happens in jail. They just get free labor. Right. That happens today. Uh, and you can see um, with all these major corporations that are, you know, making their goods off of prison labor. Right. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, but they knew at the time that they needed to get uh, black people some money. But anyway, black people being resourceful as they are, uh, as they were and still are today, uh, they did OK for themselves. They took the literary literacy rate from illiteracy rate from 97 percent uh, to basically flipping it to where like almost 60 some percent, 70 percent of black people were uh, were literate. Uh, and then what happens is you start seeing these little towns pop up, right? Because black people knew how to farm, right? They knew how to farm. Uh, you had the sharecropping situation going on. And some of those people who were in the sharecropping era was able to uh, raise enough money to start buying their own property. And then they got into being enterprising and they got into politics. Uh, black men were able to vote. Uh, 
they end up losing that. But in the middle 1800s or late 1800s, black people could vote. Uh, women still couldn't vote, but black men could vote, which is crazy, right? When you think about that. Um, but uh, you start seeing them, uh, black people kind of doing better for themselves. You start seeing these uh, little towns pop up. We call them Black Wall Streets all over the place, right? If you've never heard of Black Wall Street, one of the most famous um, areas that they call Black Wall Street is a town um, in uh, Oklahoma, Greenwood, to- uh, or Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, somewhere around there. Um, was like the one Black Wall Street that most people uh, who understand who know what Black Wall Street is really understand. So, in this area, there was you know tens tw- tens of thousands of Black people that lived there. It was basically a Black only type town, but they had grocery stores, they had their own bus system, they had banks, they had hospitals, they had hotels, they had all the things that you needed for a bustling bustling community. Now, these little Black Wall Streets had popped up. All over the country, right? But you you don't really hear much about them, but they're all over the place. But uh, these were uh, the one in Tulsa, Oklahoma was like the black Hollywood, right? It was like the one that was most famous. You know, they had 30 something different grocery stores. They had all these hotels, they had all these banks, they had all this thing, all these things that they were known for. And they had a really bustling community. Uh, they had tailors, they had everything, right? So, um, but what happened... <laughs> Right. Which is happens a lot. And it happened a lot back then and there. Um, You know, they start seeing people like the Ku Klux Klan uh, start coming into power. Right. And they were everywhere at that point. They were in the government. They were in the police uh, departments, uh, which kind of where they came from anyway. Right. Because they, they used to be the whole police system, as we know, it came from people who they used to call slave catchers. Right. And that's how the whole sheriff and the police system even came about in the first place, uh, for the most part. But anyway, there was this huge riot uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, from some people's accounts, there's maybe a thousand people dead, up to three thousand people that got murdered and killed. Right? They burnt down the entire town, uh, banks, hospitals, homes. Uh, some accounts say there was 10,000 up to 15,000 um, black families, black people left homeless because they burnt down the entire town. They went in and killed a bunch of people. It was just brutal. And this happened all over the country a lot. Um, you want to talk about terrorism, right? One of the reasons I feel like we as a country is so afraid of terrorism is because we wrote the book on it, Right. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan and the people in this country uh, <laughs> that came here, that slaughtered Indians, that took lands, that had slaves, that lynched people. They know about terrorism. They wrote the book on it. Right. That's going to hurt some of y'all's feelings. But check your feelings on that. Right. Because it's this is what happened. Right. It's amazing to me today how I'm going to talk about that another time, (laughs) right? But anyway, back to Black Wall Street. So uh, this place was burnt down, right? Just destroyed. And this happened a lot when they would see black people coming together, doing things well for themselves uh, and being self-sufficient. And there would be some type of entity, some type of group. Uh, some type of government organization. And these were government sponsored deals, right? Because even in the Tulsa, Oklahoma deal, 
uh, as uh, black people were trying to run away and uh, and be safe, uh, the sheriffs in the surrounding areas would barricade and make sure that they stayed in that town. And they would justify this by saying that they are trying to protect the uh, white communities from these black people coming out rioting after their place has been rioted on and been burnt out. Right. So they would actually barricade these people in, wouldn't let them go run to safety and they were stuck fending for themselves. Now, some people say this all started because there was one really wealthy black guy that owned a bunch of land and he turned the tables on, on the white population by saying he would only sell his piece, the pieces of land to black people. Right. They didn't like that. Of course, they didn't like that. Right. Uh, so a lot of people say a lot of that started with that. Um, and I can see how that can provoke some people when if you are so used to being in power and then somebody tells you no and you have a tenter, temper tantrum. My children do that all the time. Right. Uh, and we still have people today. We have somebody that's leading this country that seems to have these tendencies to lose his temper when things don't go his way, especially now that he's in power. Right. And that happens. That happens. Right. We got to deal with it. This is what it is. But anyway, so uh, that's probably one of the biggest and most famous examples of Black Wall Street. So look it up. Maybe I'll put it, I'll put some links to some of this stuff, some of these references that I know of in the show notes. You guys can go to yourmoneyright.com forward slash EP46 and I'll put references to all this stuff in the show notes. So you can do your own research or you can Google it or whatever you want to do. Now, that wasn't the end of Black Wall Street. They actually end up rebuilding. So a lot of people feel like, well, this was the one of the reasons why black people didn't do really well, because when they did well, somebody would come burn down our town. And then that was the end of that. We were stuck in poverty. Well, no, that's not exactly true. A lot of these places rebuild, right? They rebuilt themselves up and they did really well for themselves. One of the issues that happened was when uh, it was during the desegregation areas. Now, a lot of people, and I agree, I agree that the integration progress, integration process was good for everybody. It was good for the country. But the problem was it wasn't very good for black people because there was an issue that we had in this country at that time. And we still have today. And that was the issue of white supremacy. If you look in, um, if you look at anything black, like if you look in a dictionary, black is considered a uh, bad or dark or ugly or whatever the situation may be. And anything that's white is considered or at least portrayed to be pure and better and clean and things like that. Well, that we had the same issue back in the day. And we, and we also have that issue today. And uh, so what happens was when uh, uh, segregation was ended, uh, a lot of the people in the black areas wanted to go live with white people, wanted to go eat food with the white people, wanted to go live in white neighborhoods. And we still see that today. We consider our schools, uh, quote unquote, good based on their demographics. Uh, my neighborhood in general, I know this because I we have a very number one. I'm in the city of Houston. Right. Houston is the most diverse city in the country. Right. We don't even have a majority as far as race is concerned. There is no one race that's majority over the other. Probably. In about 10 years, it'll probably be Hispanic, but <laughs> for the most part, we don't have a majority race. So my particular neighborhood is is, is fairly well off, but it's pretty diverse. Um, and there's some there's some house flipping going on. There's some uh, increasing in home values going on. So we're getting a lot of these uh, upper middle class 
um, uh, white families that come in here and we have uh, an el- uh, elementary that's here that is that does have a majority minority, so to speak. Right. And I hate using the word minority, but it's a it's not majority white. Right. The uh, white kids are the minority at this particular school. And that bothers the white families that come here because they don't want. And I've literally heard parents say, I don't want my kid to be the minority. And it's like, OK, welcome to my world. But anyway, um, we we consider a darker demographic less. Right. You can look at how um, black people in general don't spend a lot of money with other black people. Um, I think it was an article I was reading. They did some research. I got all, all references it again. I'm sure we're going to talk about it again uh, throughout the month. But how uh, a dollar in the black community stays in the black community about six minutes or something like that or six hours. Right. And but if you look at other communities, for example. Right. Let me matter of fact, hold tight real quick. I'm going to look this up real quick. But uh, if you look in other communities, the dollar circulates within their community for days at a time. Okay, here it is. It says in the black community, the dollar circulates within the black community for only six hours. So you get paid, stays in the community for six hours, and it goes out somewhere else, right? In the white community, the dollar circulates 17 days, right? Uh, Jewish community, 20 days, and the Asian community, 30 days. That's how long a dollar stays in the community before it leaves. Uh, And that's an issue. Right. There's an that's an issue on several different fronts because um, black owned businesses create jobs uh, for black people for the most part. Right. They're the number one, uh, um, you know, when it comes to hiring black people, um, they're more likely to get a job with a black owned business for obvious reasons. Right. Um, The if you can circulate your income, the money that you bring in within your community, you make your community better. Right. Uh, we literally only spend about two percent of the the money that we earn with other black owned businesses. Two percent. Right. But if you look at other cultures, they spend 98 percent of their money within their cultural deal. And this is not to uh, I'm not trying to perpetuate racism. I'm not trying to perpetuate segregation, but I'm trying to point out one of the reasons, one of the ills of why uh, black people are in the situation that they're in today, that we are in today. And that's because of these basic uh, ignorances, so to speak, right? Uh, These basic ideals that we don't really understand. There's a different game being played and we don't really understand the game. One of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I see so many people that don't understand the game of money. Just the very basics. I mean, the beginning simple square one basics of money. Right. And I say that because I didn't understand it until I start digging into stuff. Right. So I start understanding myself, understanding how I deal with money and finding systems to help me help my wife, help my children, help my friends uh, do things right better when it comes to money, because probably one of the biggest things you've guys heard me talk about the four silent wealth killers. But one of the biggest things is being distracted by all these other things in life. Right. But, you know, we talk about civil rights. We talk about equality. We talk about a lot of, especially now with Trump as our president, there's a lot of people just afraid, right? They're afraid 
black people are not really afraid. And really, it's <laughs> it's the other people, right? Because black people, we've kind of had this feeling all of our lives, right? That, you know, I'm black and I have some disadvantages and I have to walk a certain way, right? I have to present myself a certain way. I have to perform a certain way as opposed to my counterpart who has no no thoughts especially not on a daily basis about what their skin color is like or how it affects their daily actions or what privileges or disadvantages it gives them uh muslim people they understand that right because uh, especially if you wear traditional uh islamic and muslim garb uh you know it's difficult especially in a country that especially after 9-11 when you know they just started going nuts, right? Uh, anybody who was Muslim was all, all of a sudden the enemy, right? But when we get these uh, these white kids that go around shooting up everybody, you know, it's not a big deal. It's a, it's a mental health issue. It's not necessarily a religious issue or a racism issue or anything like that. It's just a kid was just off balance or something, you know, some some excuse they come up with. Right. But. You know, it's pretty clear and it's evident that equality is an issue and everybody wants to do something about it. Uh, we want to march. We want to create nonprofits. We want to write legislation. There's a lot of things that we want to do. But I just want to say this because I think it's important that it needs to be said. None of that stuff matters. If you have no economic base. And that's the gist of what I'm trying to get say here, right? And everybody knows that. The people in power understands that money is important. How do we know that? We've already talked about it back in the 1800s. They say the only way for the black man to be free, to be truly free, was to give him 40 acres, a mule, and $100. Now that got scratched, but even so, they set up a banking system for freed pay for freed slaves. They called it the Freedmen's uh, Savings and Loans Organization or the Freedmen's Bank. You can look it up. The Freedmen's Bank, you'll probably pull up something on Wikipedia or something like that. Or I'll put it in the show notes. Um, the Freedmen's Bank was a bank specifically to help uh, freed slaves, runaway slaves or new, newly freed men. Uh, store money because they knew they understood that they have to have a safe place to put their money because if you don't have anywhere to put your money you don't have any freedom right you can't buy the things you need to buy so the government did put that in place the problem with that though is these freedom banks were still run by racist white men of course and a lot of times these things came up missing right Uh, when men would get lynched a lot of times they didn't have listed the next of kin, right? Uh, slaves didn't really understand the money system very well, right? It was kept from them how money works. Because if you can keep them away from, uh, if you keep them in, in forced ignorance, you can still control them, right? That's why it was illegal for you to read. That's why they didn't want you to read. That's why they didn't want you to vote. That's why they didn't want you to have money. That's why they didn't want to loan you money. Uh, that's why even today, Right. We can look in our neighborhoods and we can see the liquor stores. We can see the gun stores. We can see the check cashing places. We can see the title loans. We can see the payday loan places. H&R blocks and all these places, they move in like 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 the plague. 
around tax season, right? Why? Because they know they can take advantage of us, right? They know we don't understand the game of money. They know we want to get these big tax these tax refunds, right? And we think we're winning when we get this money. And then they want to give it to us first and fast, so they'll give us a loan, which they don't really describe it as a loan. It's just like a, a rapid tax refund. But they're literally giving you a loan, uh, waiting for your actual refund to come in. And they take that, and then you know they've charged you whatever it was. But you don't know, know what it's charged because they don't disclose that up front. They just give you sign some papers. All you know is you're going to walk out of the place with a check. Check cashing places and payday loans, they're probably some of the biggest loan sharks ever, right? Uh, we don't understand the game of money. We don't understand the game of credit. Bad credit keeps you in bad neighborhoods, right? Bad credit keeps you in bad loans. Bad loans keep you paying out your money. It keeps you in one place, right? And if it keeps you working, working so much that you can't take the time to look back, raise your children, Think about what your next move is going to be. Think about even start thinking about investing properly. So instead, they want you to put your money with them. Right. Keep you ignorant. Keep you and your money separated. Keep you working. Raise your children. Keep you blind and keep you under control. That's the game. That has always been the game. It is still the game. The challenge now is the game don't really care if you black or white. It just so happened, happens to be that black people have been dealing with this for so long. We're still dealing with this, you know, for the most part. It's us, right? Um, and I have a heart for black people because I'm black. My children are black. My wife is black. My grandchildren are probably going to be black. Even if my children marry white people because I'm such a dark-skinned, strong black man, my children, grandchildren, even if my children marry white people, will look black. They will be treated black. Like Barack Obama, for example, right? He's half white, half black, but he's black. And I want to see black people do better. I want to see this country treat black people better. But in order to do that, black people will have to do better. First. And people don't want to hear that. And you're going to come up to some opposition. I made a mention of it earlier about how every time we were looking to advance black people economically, somebody was assassinated. We go back to Dr. Martin Luther King, right, and the civil rights movement. They loved Dr. Martin Luther King. Well, first, no, let me tell you this. They hated Dr. Martin Luther King, right? They hated him because he was bringing up things that was uncomfortable, right? Uh, he was ch- trying to change things, and people don't like change, especially people who have power and privilege. They don't want their power and privilege to be taken away from them, right? And I don't blame him. I don't either. I don't want my power and privilege taken away from me either, right? But they didn't want their power and privilege power and privilege to be taken away from him. So the FBI actually at one point had him listed uh, as the uh, enemy number one, right? The most dangerous man in America. You got this peaceful protesting guy who all of a sudden became the most dangerous man in America. Why was that? Right? Because when you look at it, if you listen to anything like that, uh, Malcolm X, for example, talked about, 
he felt like Dr. Martin Luther King was playing to the government and the quote unquote white man's uh, game. He was a pawn. Keep the Negro defenseless so he don't try to defend himself. And so he won't incite any violence so they can continue to do what they want. They can continue to stick the dogs on them, continue to stick the water hose on the fire hose on them and all that good stuff uh, in their peaceful, peaceful protest. So at some point, Malcolm X even accused uh, Dr. Martin Luther King of being funded by the government. Now, speaking of funding, I talk about money as being important and it's important. And here's why it's important. Here's why it's important to have a strong economic base. Where do you think Dr. Martin Luther King got his money from? Right. How was he able to go on all these marches? How was he able to travel the world? Who bought his suits? Who did any of that stuff? We look at today, look at these nonprofit organizations. I know a lot of people starting these nonprofit organizations. And I've said this before. But every nonprofit needs to be tagged to a profit producing source or it cannot function because it needs money. Dr. Martin Luther King needed money. Right. That came from the economic base that he had, his father, business owners around him, things like that. So keep that in mind. Right. We think about solving our issues. This is why I say money is so important. If you think black lives matter and you want to go out and you want to protest, you want to go out and be an activist, you need financial support to do it consistently. Right. It, it must happen. I talk about even on this podcast for this podcast to be sustainable. It needs to be sustainable. Right. Right now. You know, we're paying for everything out of our pocket and we're growing at the rate that we can grow with what we have to grow faster. I'm probably going to need a little bit more profit, right? I'm going to need some more sustainability, so to speak, for this thing to be a long lasting, impactful deal. That's why we started the boot camps, you know, uh, to figure out a way to, to give back and also keep this thing sustainable and grow it faster, get the word out. Because people need to be hearing. We need to be talking about money. Period. Dot the end. Right. But back to Dr. Martin Luther King. Right. So he had a financial base. Right. He was a peaceful guy. Uh, The government loved him. Until something changed. Right. He got civil rights passed. He allowed black people to sit at the, you know, the counters and order pie with white people and yada, yada, yada. Right. But if you look at the things that made the difference, you look at the bus boycotts, right? What made the bus boycotts work? Well, these bus systems was losing money, right? We go back to money. They were losing money. That's what changed that. Dr. Martin Luther King being able to sustain himself, go up to Washington, travel the country. He needed money to sustain that. Right. But here's the deal. Here's his, here's when he became public enemy number one. When he started talking about not only civil inclusion, not only integration, but when he talked, start talking about financial inclusion. 
That's when they put him on the list. When he started talking about how all these other immigrants from all these other countries came here, got free land, but black people didn't. That's when they had a problem with him. When he started talking about collecting what was owed to black people, the government said, no, we got to stop this. We got to stop this right now. See, this is the part of Dr. Martin Luther King that they don't tell you about, that you don't hear about in your social studies class, right? In your history classes, in your Black History Month classes. They talk about his peaceful protest and how he was such a nice guy, right? He was nonviolent, you know, because they want to make sure black people stay nonviolent. Right. They talk about that. Talk about the civil rights movement and the accomplishments he made that there. But that wasn't his only platform that he wasn't trying to stop there. It was after he started talking about money. Is when they went ahead and put the hit out on it's when this guy, this guy's got to go. Matter of fact, I'm going to play you a clip of a speech. Just in case you don't believe me. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. This is what we are faced with, and this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. (laughs) Now, see, that's that's a different old Martin. That's a different reverend right there that you've heard about, right, in the mainstream, what they've taught us. But even he knew that in order to make this thing completely fair, completely equal that you had to get economics behind it. Now his tactics a little different than some people would like, right? He fought that fight. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that anything he's saying is a solution. What I am saying and try to get across everybody, the importance of having an economic base being able to know what to do with your money, being able to be in control of your money, understanding those things. If you want freedom for yourself, freedom for your family, you've got to learn this stuff. You've got to learn the game because money is important. Now, we've been taught for a long time that money is not that important. You're a grown person now. You already know it takes money, right? And it don't take a bunch of money to live a good life. But you got to be able to handle the money that you do have. Right? 
And this has been, in my opinion, an issue with black people. And it's my opinion, the only way that things are going to change for the long term. Either that or everybody just starts sleeping with everybody and everybody ends up being mixed. Ain't nobody, you know, don't nobody know who is what is what. Right now, until that happens. (laughs) Right. You got to do something better. We got to do something better. Right. It's as a whole. It's not enough to have these symbolic victories, right? Having one or two billionaires here and there, a few millionaires here and there in the sports and things like that. That's cool, but that's not real progress, right? You don't own anything, don't control anything. But black people as a whole, their spending power alone, if you just took the black people here in America would be the 11th largest country in the world. The 11th largest country in the world, if you took the spending power of the black people right here in this country. But at the same time, don't own anything, don't control anything, and stuck begging other people to come and save us. Come give us jobs. Give us a chance. Give us an opportunity. Here's the deal. If we want to do better, if we want to be looked at differently, we got to do better. We got to do different. You want you want policy change in politics? You need economics. You got to buy your politicians. You got to show up. You got to even at least have enough freedom to even go to a school board meeting to see what the heck's going on, to go to a parent student parent teacher meeting, to even talk to your stu- your stu- your kids uh, teacher about their grades, right on on a very basic level. But if you don't show up, you don't exist, right? And that's the problem. We're so busy in life, we don't show up. But this wasn't about you, right? This is about history, (laughs) right? So we look back on it, bring it all the way up to the forefront from slavery to doing good. There was a point in time, and I'll talk about this another day, where majority of black kids were born in a, a whole family where there was a husband and a wife there. There was a time, right? In the late 1800s, early 1900s. There was a time that was the norm for black people to own businesses and and, and have crafts and skills and have a, a husband in the house and a wife in the house. But those things change. Right. Uh, with the Jim Crow laws and the lynching and the the mass incarcerations and just making it illegal to be a black person. Right. Uh, with the propaganda that came out to uh, make black people look scary. Make people afraid of them. You can see that now with these black men getting shot, killed. Uh, and even today, you can see people make excuses for them because they don't see black men as a human being. Right. They see them as something else. So when you see a black man get shot. The first thing that people do is they start making excuses for why that person got shot. It's the first inclination. Right. Because it's been generations after generations of conditioning. That's why cops are afraid. They're the ones with the power. They're the ones with the guns, but they're afraid. 
right? This has been generations of generations of conditioning, television, magazine, news, you name it. It's, it's been a bad deal in order for black people to change that. You got to change. You got to have your own marketing campaign. You got We got to change our own. We got to change our own the way people view us. We got to change the way we view each other. Right. But it starts, in my opinion, we got to start paying attention to the dollars that we have because black dollars matter. If you believe that black lives matter, black dollars matter. Because you got to fund these things. That's the way the game works. If we don't want to play that game, we got to go somewhere else. Good luck finding somewhere where that's not the game. Right? Because all over the, the entire globe has benefited from the African slave trade. Right? White supremacy is not just here in the United States. It's not just... White people, white supremacy infiltrates all cultures and even black people. We've talked about that already, right? But that's the history. That's the history of the money, of the dollars in this country. And the the impact that I believe it has had and still has on the black community today. If we want to talk about black history, this part of it is important to me. And I think... It needs to be talked about. I think it needs to be brought up and we need to have discussions about what we can do differently, how we can move forward, not just as black people, but the entire country, people who care about this country, because this country will go the way of its people. Right. As a whole. And you can't leave anybody behind. Right. So that's that. Next week. We start talking solutions. Right. What can we do? What can we do to make things different? What can you do? You probably already know what you need. You probably already know what you need to do. Right. But how can you take that to a step further? That's what we're talking about next week. I'm have a very special guest. I'm excited about it. I'm not going to tell you who he is, but I'm excited about it. So make sure you're subscribed to the show. If you're not subscribed, make sure you get subscribed, right? So you never have to worry about missing another show. It shows up in your podcast player every week. Shows come out on Mondays like clockwork, right? If I got to stay up all night on Sundays and work three or four jobs and hang out with the kids and do all I got to do, I'm going to come out with a show on Monday mornings for you, right? That's my commitment to you every week, right? So make sure you're subscribed to the show. If you're not a misfit, Come on and join us at the very minimum. Take the jumpstart mini course, right? Um, the boot camp is coming up. It'll be the middle of this month. It'll be on the weekend. It'll probably be like a Sunday, right? Um, that's what I'm thinking right now. I'm leaning maybe the second or third, maybe the third Sunday of the month or something like that. That's what we're leaning at. So save the date. I think this time it's probably going to sell out a whole lot faster. Than it did last time, but I'm at least going to give you a little bit more leeway than just a few days like I did last time. I'll give you a little bit more leeway. It'll probably the page will probably go live maybe at the end of this week or after the next episode, maybe next Monday. Right. Um, so make sure you're ready for that. We're going to take 10 people again. I may open it up to 15 because 10. Uh, it's not that bad. The, the, the few that we did have on there that showed up. So um, some people couldn't show up. So 
that made it, you know, and that happens, right? Life happens. Life doesn't stop happening. Um, but with that being said, man, I hope this was helpful. I hope this was enlightening to somebody. I'm really excited about this month because I got a lot of things planned and, I, and some stuff that I really want to teach you and show you and people that I want to share with you. And I think uh, we'll all be better off understanding these things. Right. Because uh, I truly believe, you know, like I, I say this a lot, but I, I do believe that if we don't talk about money, we'll never get good about money. We'll never get good with money. And it's 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 the person that pays most attention to your money. Is the person that's going to get and keep your money, right? So I come out with these shows and I talk about this stuff and I post on social media to remind you that money is important because it is, right? And it's your money. And if you don't pay attention to it, somebody else will pay attention to your money. And guess what they got planned for your money? It's not anything for you, right? It's for them, <laughs> okay? So we don't want to fall down that road. I'm going to leave you with a clip, another clip from The Doctor, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And this one is a good one. And it's eerie because like the last clip I just play, played you and he started talking about money. Weeks later, he was assassinated. Okay. Because somebody knows finances are important. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate you. I love you. God bless. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to a group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own Emancipation Proclamation. Let anybody take your manhood. Be proud of our heritage. As somebody said earlier tonight, we don't have anything to be ashamed of. Somebody told a lie one day. They couched it in language. They made everything black. Ugly and evil. Look in your dictionary and see the synonyms of the word black. It's always something degrading and low and sinister. Look at the word white. It's always something pure, high and clean. But I want to get the language right tonight. I want to get the language so right that everybody here will cry out, Yes, I'm black. I'm proud of it. I'm black and beautiful.
I said we're talking about money. 